You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. We're going to look at the, the longest chapter in the Bible. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. 119. Turn there if you would, please, in your Bibles. That's where we are. This is our Thrive Teaching Series. Habits of Grace, last week we kicked it off talking about community, this week we're talking about the Bible. Grab your sermon notes and we will uh, walk through that introduction. This is really kind of a, a, a brief uh, explanation of what this series is all about there on your sermon notes. Habits of Grace are activities that are not about earning God's favor or twisting God's arm. Do you hear that? So you're here today not to earn God's favor or twist his arm. Does that make sense? That's not why we come to church. It's not why we read the Bible. It's not why we pray. That's not what spiritual disciplines are about, but about putting ourselves in the path of God's amazing grace and increasing our capacity to enjoying Jesus. Yes, yes, that's what we want to do. We want to enjoy Jesus so that we can thrive spiritually. So, you guys familiar with the story found in Luke chapter 10, the story of Zacchaeus? Anybody familiar with the story of Zacchaeus? And uh, how many have ever, I grew up uh, singing that song. You guys know how that song goes? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into what kind of a tree? A sycamore tree. For the Lord, he wanted to... He wanted to see. And so what happened? Jesus came over to the tree, and Zacchaeus fell out of the tree. No, he didn't fall out of the tree, but Jesus said, come on down out of that tree because I'm coming over to your house. Zacchaeus had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was never, ever the same. And Zacchaeus put himself in the path of God's amazing grace. That's what spiritual disciplines are about. It's about putting your, yourself in the path of God's amazing grace and having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that do, when you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, you are never, ever the same. You are no longer suited for a normal life. There's something that begins to take place in your life. It begins to transform you. And then what happens in your heart, once, once you've tasted of the joy of his presence, the presence of God, once you've experienced the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, the significance of being called his child, you're going to do all that you can to put yourself in the path of God's amazing grace through spiritual disciplines. And there's no spiritual discipline more important than a regular and consistent encounter with God through his word that involves, I put two things on your notes, but there's actually three things. When you, when you encounter God through his word, there's three things, convictions of the mind, the affections of the heart, and the actions of your life. That's actually really would be a definition of faith. Oftentimes people say, well, what is faith? Well, faith involves all of those. Convictions of the mind, affections of the heart, actions of your life. So truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, entering the head, igniting the heart, and outworking through your, your hands, through your, through your life. I hear people say all the time, well, I, I, I believe in God. Okay, but do you have faith? Are you trusting 
in him? Have you encountered him and do you encounter him through the study of his word? And that's what we're going to talk about here today. So, so what should I believe about God's word? What should I feel about God's word and what should I do about God's word. That's where we're headed with our study here this morning. You can see there on your notes. And so before we read our text, Psalm 119. By the way, do you know how long it would take if we read completely through Psalm 119? Anybody? About 20 minutes. So we're going to read completely through it this morning. No, we're not going to do it. We're going to read the first 11 uh, verses and then there's a number of other verses we'll kind of work through. But it's really, I, I, I'll tell you, you ought to read through it sometime, and every so often I, I go through it, and it will stir your heart for God's Word, and that's, that's what that uh, chapter is really all about, but before we take a look at uh, Psalm 119 and unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, it tells us in Psalm 19 that your Word is perfect, reviving the soul, making wise the simple. Rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, more to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. In keeping your word, there's great reward. Teach us what we should believe about your word, how we should feel about your word, and what we should do with your word. We pray this for your glory and our joy in your son's beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. So take a look at Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, what you're going to notice here, when you kind of read through it, you, you kind of want to observe what's, what stands out to you and what is he doing here. And he's going to use a lot of different words to describe God's word, a lot of different words, and each of these words carry specific implications to our life. So this first one is law. He refers to God's word as law, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed, by the way, the word blessed means total fulfillment, complete well-being, a happiness unlike anything you could ever experience in this, in this world. It comes from God. So he's saying, blessed are those, verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. There's another way of referring to God's word. Who seek him with their whole heart. So he's just telling us that God's word is not an end in itself, but it's a means, a means to an end. It's a means to an end, that end being intimacy with God. Verse 3, who also do, do no wrong but walk in his ways. His ways would be another way that he's referring to God's word. Verse 4, you have commanded your precepts, another way that he's referring to God's word, precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, another way of referring to God's word. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. How do we eliminate shame from our life? By looking to God's commandments. It's, it's what drives our addictions, is shame. It drives us with our obsessions, is our shame. And we get rid of that shame by having our eyes fixed on his commandments. Another way of referring to God's word. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your, here's another one, righteous rules. 
So he's trying to get something across here. And we're going to kind of walk through some of these implications. Verse 8, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Statutes is another way of referring to God's word. And then he says in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? In other words, how can I find so much happiness in God that sin loses its appeal? That's what he's saying here. By the way, that's, what, that's the definition of holiness, is that you find such delight in God that sin loses its appeal. This is what he's asking. How can he do that? He's saying, by guarding it according to your words, so guarding, guarding your life according to God's word. And then he says, with my whole heart, heart is your deepest loyalties and affections, so with, with my deepest loyalties and affections, I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you can see guarding it, according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you, but I store your word in my heart. That's how I can find this delight in God where sin begins to lose its appeal in my life, and I want him more than anything. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So pretty phenomenal text. That's just the first 11 verses, and there are some 100 and, I think 100 and, how many, 76 verses? Yeah, 176 verses. Wow. Unbelievable. All about God's word. Now, okay. So, what should I believe? That's your first fill in the blank. What should I believe about God's word? These are the convictions of the mind. And here's the first thing. It has ultimate authority. Ultimate authority. Now, let me kind of walk you through. You can see it's in the smaller print on your notes. <clears throat> you're going to want to grab notes when you come in and, and walk through this because I, I put so much more on the notes than what you're going to see up on the screen, and there's even extra verses on there. But you can see below that, the small print there, verse 1, he refers to God's word as the law of the Lord, which means it's the standard for our life. Verse 5, your statutes, basically statue, we get the word statue from that, permanently relevant is the idea there. Verse 6, your commandments, it's not optional. It's not suggestions. He's not saying, hey, here's some, su some suggestions for maybe how you might want to think about living. No, these are commandments. So what we could say as it relates to the God's word, what we should believe about God's word, it's our ultimate authority. It is our standard for faith and practice, and whatever it says must be followed, regardless of our emotional state, regardless of popular opinion, regardless of even expert advice. Even if someone says I, they're an expert in a field and if it goes contrary to what the Bible says, you need to go with what the Bible says. Make sense? Okay, you track with me on that? Okay, yeah, God's word is the ultimate, ultimate authority. You filter everything you learn through God's word. Everything, any advice, any counsel you get, you always go back to God's word. That's the idea here. Now, there was a movie that came out in 2004. I thought it was really a funny movie. I laughed like crazy. I watched it multiple times. But there were those that watched the movie and thought it was the dumbest movie ever. In fact, I, I watched that movie with those uh, folks, and, and, um, and they thought, that's the stupidest movie ever. And they probably thought I was stupid because I was laughing so hard, and I thought, no, it's, it's actually pretty funny. You're just, uh, you just don't know what funny is. Okay, and... Um, and so the movie, and I'm going to give you, uh, there's a lot of different lines in that movie. I'm going to give you one line from the movie and see if you can uh, guess what the movie is. Here's one of the lines from the movie, and it says this. 
The person, the, the key character in the movie said this, giving advice to his friend. Listen to your heart. That's what I do. Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. See, you guys, nobody last night got it at all. They failed that pop quiz right there. And most of you didn't get it. There was like one person there. Right back here in the back. You guys got it. I heard it just kind of over here. Come on, folks. If you haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite, you're missing out on really some silly stuff. How many have seen the movie? How many would say, unfortunately, how many would say it was really, really funny? Okay, not as many hands went up that time. How many say it was the dumbest movie you've ever seen? Okay. Okay. You should have watched it with us, okay? Okay, maybe it's because we were loaded up on caffeine or something. I don't know. It's like, whoa, look at that. That's the guy. You know, it, there's, there's a lot of little subtle things in the movie which are really fascinating. But what was so, that is a really a dumb statement, by the way. Let me say that statement again that he says, listen to your heart. That's what I do. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. You know what he's saying there? That's very common, by the way, in our culture today. It's called expressive individualism. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. How many have heard that statement before? Yeah. I just followed my heart. Well, that's the dumbest thing you could do based on what the Bible says. Because that's like flying a plane into a storm and not being instrument trained. Okay, savvy? I mean, do you understand that? I mean, are you catching what I'm what I'm talking about here? I mean, because when I worked out at when I worked out at Palo Verde, I f I flew out there. I didn't. I wasn't the pilot, but I flew with the guy out of Deer Valley Airport. And we flew out there and we landed on an old crop dusting airstrip out there. It was a little dangerous, a little crazy. My wife jacked up the insurance policy while I was doing it. <laughs> she had the guy on the line every morning when we took off. Hey, do I still have that money coming to me if he crashes? That's not very nice. But, uh, but there were some guys that were flying out of Prescott. And you've heard this story before maybe. And uh, they were flying out of Prescott and they'd fly to Palo Verde and work and they'd fly back. And they flew into a storm, a very vicious storm that kind of blew into the valley. And they flew into the storm. And because he was not instrument trained, he flew the plane into the ground and killed everybody. Very common, you know, if, you, if you're not instrument trained. Because you become disoriented and then you don't have anything to look at to, to see where you are. And you're going by feelings. And guess what? You're going to crash and burn. The same is true in your life. If you go by your feelings, you're going to crash and burn. In fact, if you are even currently disoriented about your life, disillusioned, despondent, you need to get back to the authority of God's Word and understand what God's Word has to say. And uh, in a changing world, you can trust God's unchanging Word. This is what we build our lives on, the authority of God's word. When I'm feeling totally disoriented about life, I'm just, I mean, I'm going every which way but loose. I mean, just crazy. I, I go back to God's word and it reorients me. I get recalibrated. I come back to, to sanity. You need to do the same thing. 
That's why we study God's word. It's our highest authority. Even when I don't feel God, the Bible tells me he will never, ever leave me or forsake me. In fact, he put his blood on the line. He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? So, so I go back to God's word. How many have had those times when you just don't have a sense of God's presence? You kind of wonder, where is God in this? You become disoriented. You start responding in a manner that would be consistent with someone that doesn't have a sense of God's presence in their life. That's not good. You're going to fly your plane into the ground. You go back to God's word. You go back to God's word. It is our ultimate authority. It is it is also absolutely trustworthy. Look what he says in verse 5. Your statutes, so, so statue, think of statue, not only permanently relevant but also sufficient. And then verse 7, righteous rules. He's just saying righteous. Why would he say that? It's infallible. Verse 9, your word, so he's just saying these are words from the very mouth of God, which is inspired, so all scripture comes from God's very mouth and is true and not capable of error and needs no addendums, which means needs no supplements, appendix, or additions. Now, when I was on the fire department, I remember sharing with the crew that I was working with over there at Station 10 and the guys over there and the gals and I remember saying one time about how important God's word was, and one of the gals that was in there said to me, oh, don't give me that Bible thing. Everybody knows that the Bible's been passed on from generation to generation, and it's, it's lost its intended meaning. That's what, that's what this person said. It doesn't mean what it originally meant because it's just been passed on and it's been tampered with and it's been messed with. And, and, and so I asked the person, I said, so when did you come to that conclusion? Was that after you took our modern day translations and compared them to the manuscript evidence? And that, and that person said, huh? What are you talking about? I go, exactly. I said, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. I said, the Bible is the most reliable book in the world. It's the most trustworthy book in the world. In fact, if you were to ask me this, and I actually teach this in the Game of Life, we'll be dealing with this in our next class. I kind of walk through a process and we go into more detail. But you would ask me, so, okay, tell me about the reliability of the Bible. Well, first of all, let me just say that it, um, I use this kind of acronym, PREACH, and it's prophetically powerful. God's bad in a thousand. It's, it ha it's packed full of predictions. God hasn't missed any of them, okay? And uh, Jesus is one of the big ones in there. Jesus fulfilled some 300 biblical prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, with his first coming. So we, we shouldn't have missed him, okay? There's a lot of people that miss Jesus in that. 300, 300 predictions about Jesus that he fulfilled. So it's prophetically powerful. It's remarkably reliable with manuscript evidence, it's established by eyewitness accounts. The dudes, the guys in the New Testament gave their life proclaiming the resurrected Savior and Lord. And then they wrote it down. Eyewitness accounts. They saw God in the flesh. It's archaeologically accurate. Every dig they've had over in the Middle East has done nothing but 
uh, validate the veracity and the validity of God's Word. They've yet to ever, in fact, there's an archaeological Bible. You can buy an archaeological Bible that will go through the specifics and show you where they've found this stuff that just proves this book accurate. And so it's archaeologically accurate. It's credited by millions of changed lives. It's honored by outside historians that are non-Christians. And uh, it's scientifically sound. It gives us wisdom that, that actually works. Anytime that I've kind of veered off of what the Bible teaches about marriage or parenting or finances or anything, I... It's, I've messed up my life. But when I get my life back in line with what it says, oh my goodness, it's the best way to live. So it's absolutely trustworthy. But here's the third thing. It is all about Jesus. Next fill in the blank. It's all about Jesus. This is what we should believe about God's word. It has ultimate authority. It is absolutely trustworthy. And it's all about Jesus. Now, verse two and verse 10, it says, who seek him with all their heart. So as I already stated, the Bible is not an end in itself. So when you study God's word, it's not just, okay, I studied the Bible. No, it's a means to an end, intimacy with God. That's what he's talking about. I'm gonna seek him with all of my heart. Verse three, his ways, so he's referring to God's word. His ways are speaking of God's nature and character. Your precepts, verse four, is his consummate wisdom And then 11 times, you're going to have to look these verses up. 11 times in Psalm 119, he uses the word your promise. Ooh, that's, and that's rich. Anytime the Bible says that it's referring to God's word as his promise, it's his covenant. In other words, God binds himself to save you, to rescue you, to love you, to come after you, to take care of you. That's that's why he's using that word promise. And that's 11 times in Psalm 119. And he does that through Jesus. And here's what we also need to keep in mind. Let me just give you a little bit more of the glory of God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. How many are familiar with that verse? You guys know what I'm talking about there? So it's alive and powerful. What does that mean, alive and powerful? Alive and powerful. What does that mean? This is what it means. God's word is his personal active presence. So when God in the beginning in Genesis 1 says, God said, let there be light, boom, and there was light. When I walk in the house and I say, let there be light, boom, I've got to walk over and flip on the light switch, okay? <laughs> I, that's, it doesn't just come on. And so I've got to go over there and do something about it. But God just speaks and it happens. So God's word is his personal active presence. Communication from God is communion with God when met with a response of trust. Listen to me, folks. When you open up this book, you are encountering the living God, the God of the galaxies that created you. And he created you for relationship with him. And so it's his... It's his personal active presence. But here I'm going to have you do something. If you've been with us here at Desert Breeze, you know the answer to this. But I want you to discuss it with the folks sitting next to you. Is the Bible, here's your question, is the Bible primarily about you and what you must do to be right with God 
or is the Bible primarily about God and about what God has done to make us right with him? Stop, don't, don't answer out loud. Some of you are gonna kind of yell it out loud before you even got a chance here. And the reason why that's such an important question, if you listen to a lot of the teaching here in America today, it's gonna fall into one or, or one of the other category. I hear a lot of teaching that is in the wrong category there. And, and your understanding of God's word as a whole makes a difference in how you study it and how you read it. Your answer to that question will make all the difference in how you read God's word. Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Which one is it? About you or is it about God? Is it about you or about God? Okay, what are you guys thinking? You guys got quiet there just for a minute. You guys were real loud and you kind of got quiet, so you got to probably figure it out, didn't you? How many are thinking it's about us? It's all about us. It's about us. It's about us. It's not about us. No, how many were thinking it's about God? It's all about God. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's not about, what, about us and about what we must do to be right with God, but it's all about God, about what He has done to make us right with him. Otherwise, we turn God's word into Aesop's fables. Come, come along, boys and girls. Let's, let me give you some morals of how you should live. Come on, you can be good. Try harder. Come on, let's be kind to one another. We turn it into that, and there's a lot of messages in America today that that's what they're about. It's all about be good, try harder. By the way, you guys know this, that you can be bad and you can be good for the basically the same reason, the wrong reason. You can be good for the wrong reason. In other words, oftentimes, and I see this happen a lot, is that because many times we don't preach towards what is fundamentally wrong with us, that is our heart, you can actually take a, a self-centered person who's being good and hijack their self-centeredness to help them to become Bad. I'm sorry, I got that wrong, didn't I? So you can have someone that's very bad and hijack their self-centeredness and help them to be very good by motivating them out of fear and pride. Fear and pride motivation doesn't deal with what's fundamentally wrong with all of us. It's our self-centeredness and only love can transform the heart. Fear and pride restrain the heart. Come on, you can do better. You don't want to be like all those losers out there that are living that way. You want to live a better way. See, that's not the motivation the Bible gives us. It's not about what you must do to be right with God. It's about what has been done. It's about what has been done. It's been done. It is finished. When he said it is finished, what did he mean by that? I mean, that, when, when you hear that, that should just, it is finished wasn't a cry of, of, of defeat, it was a cry of victory. Did you, does that make sense? It is finished. Ah. No, it, was, it is finished, paid in full. Did you know your sins are completely paid for through Jesus Christ? Your ticket to heaven is paid for through Jesus Christ. Everything you'll ever need from now until heaven is paid for through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. It's done. 
I mean, that should just kind of bring just some relief to us. It's like, what? I've got everything I need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ? Yes! Yes! So when it talks about our, our, our behavior, it's not in, in an effort to try to earn God's approval. We don't obey him to get his acceptance and approval. We have his acceptance and approval, therefore we obey him. Because when you understand what you have through Jesus Christ, I mean, if you went through Romans 8 series with us, I'm still living on a high from that series. And if you, if you aren't, you need to go back and re-listen re to that whole series, 10 weeks, just have at it. Go for it, because you desperately need it. You came in here pretty grumpy this morning, okay? <laughs> I, I could see that. Maybe it was you needed some coffee, I understand. But man, that in itself, that what we have in Christ, Romans 8, woo! That's fascinating. That's amazing. You should be reflecting on that. You should be reveling on that and taking it from your head down into your heart until you are rejoicing and celebrating in all that you have in him. And, uh, and so the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament promises God's rescuer. The New Testament presents God's rescuer. John 5, Luke 24, Jesus made that very clear. That's why I love Sally Lloyd-Jones's two quotes here from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is how she summarizes it. I love it. The Bible isn't a book of rules or heroes as much as it's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace to rescue the one he loves. That's me. That's me. And you. Anybody in on that? Yeah. yeah. Here's the next quote. Listen to this one. The Bible is an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. That's me. That's me. That's you. Anybody in on that? Woo. I am. So, okay, that's the convictions of the mind. That's what we should believe about God, that it's, it's our ultimate authority. It's absolutely trustworthy. It's all about Jesus. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. I can live in the reality of that right now. I should be living in the reality of that right now. Now, what should I feel about God's word? This is the affections of the heart. First thing is I should desire it. Psalm 119, 131. It's on your notes there. Listen to this verse. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Now this panting, when was the last time you panted? Maybe it was at the end of that uh, long staircase after you walked up those stairs or whatever. That's not that kind of panting he's talking about. He's not talking about exercise pant, okay? And some of you need to pick up the pace a little bit with the panting with your exercise, okay? That's why I've got a trainer. He doesn't cut us any slack. He's sitting over in the breezeway right now. Thanks, thanks, Drew. He's over there. So he keeps Nancy and I and his, his mom and dad who are part of our, our little club there that we work out. And so he doesn't cut us any slack. He pushes us hard. And so that's my job is to kind of push you hard so that you can begin to pant, not in exercise way, but in a way that you would pant for God's word. That's an interesting word, pant? Yeah. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Now, when I first met my wife, Nancy, it was uh, 1976. I was, 
I was leading a Bible study group of about 20 or more youth. It was at 23rd Avenue in Camelback, Westwood Assembly of God, right across the street from Fire Station 18. And in walked this beautiful, gorgeous young lady. She was 18, I was 19. And she took one look at me and started panting. Why did you guys laugh? You don't think she did? You don't think she panted? I, you think I did? Yeah, it was me that was doing the panting because this is, I, I hate to admit it, but uh, there's a new gal here. And so I walked her out to her car at the end of the Bible study, which now I look back on it, that's kind of forward. The youth leader walks the new girl out to her car all by themselves. That's, that's really weird, huh? You guys saying that's weird? Yeah, but I wanted, to, I wanted to get her before those other lug nuts got her in the, in the small group, okay? Okay, so, I, I, so I, was, I, was, I was a little bit aggressive, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I go, wow. I was just, I, it was, hey, listen to me. It was, it was lust at first sight, okay? I'll admit it because it can't be love. There's no such thing as love at first sight because you don't even, I didn't even know her. But later on, it became love because the more I got to know her, the more I was just really captivated by her. Lust is really more about me. I, it was just like, I'd like to have her. So that makes it, that, it's about getting. Love is about giving. And you can only do that as you get to know that person, okay? So you guys understand that. And so the reason why I think that she was doing some panting is because when I was walking her out to the car, she was so overwhelmed that she tripped over a, uh, over a speed bump in the parking lot of the church. Yeah. And I, I, I tried to lean over to try to grab her, but she didn't go completely down. She was just, it was really clumsy, and it was just very embarrassing. And some, I, I would say that it was because she was overwhelmed with me. And uh, others would say that she was desperately trying to get away from me. How many are thinking more like she's probably trying to get away? This guy's really forward. He's the leader, and he's walking me out to my car. <laughs> Get me away from this guy. So why did I say all that? I'm not really sure why. But, but I was doing some panting, okay? That's why. And that's what this verse means. Listen to what the writer says. So he says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Look what else he says. These are on your notes. Desire to keep the commands of God's word. Six times he says that. I desire to keep the commands of God's word. Six times in Psalm 119. Desire to know and understand God's word. He uses that 12 times. Man, I, I just, I want to keep your commands. I want to know and understand your words. 12 times. In fact, the psalmist so desired God's word that he considered suffering. This is going to sound crazy. But the psalmist desired, he panted after God's word so much that he considered suffering to be a blessing if it helped him become more obedient to God's word. You can read that in verse, verses 67 through 68 and 71 of Psalm 119. So, so here's what we can learn from that real quick before we move on to the next, next point is that no suffering is too great to endure if it gives me a greater experience of the beauty and the glory of Jesus. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But once you've tasted 
Once you've tasted of fellowship with him, you'll take suffering. Hey, if this suffering helps me to know you more, bring it on, God. And, 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 and that's why you even see Paul write in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, his power, his presence, his peace is made perfect. Where? In our, in our weakness, in our suffering. So I need to desire it. I need to delight in it. I need to delight in it. So this is talking about how I should feel about God's word, affections of the heart. Desire it, delight in it, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I I love that verse. I've taken that verse often and just with me and just meditated on it, reflected on it. Oh my goodness, that's a rich verse. Just talking about God's word. How sweet are your words to my taste. Oh God, when I, when I hear you, when you speak to me, oh, I hang on to every word. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, after I met Nancy, we started dating and uh, we'd known each other for close to a year and we were kind of thinking and talking, maybe, maybe marriage and uh, her parents moved uh, to uh, Houston, Texas and so she moved there, relocated there. And so for the whole summer, uh, we, were, we had very little contact. And I say very little contact is because this was, uh, there were no cell phones. I know that's a shock to some of you here. No cell phones? Yeah, there was no internet. No internet? How did you survive? No FaceTime, no texting, no social media, no email, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. Some of you are looking at my age and thinking, well, was that back Pony Express? Was it, uh, no, no, no. It was snail mail. We still have that going. It took about four to six weeks to get a letter. I mean, it was too expensive to make long distance phone calls. How many remember that? Remember long distance phone calls? Arm and a leg, baby. I mean, it cost, it cost a fortune. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low, but I can't afford to call you, babe. I got to get a couple, I got to get another job. So we didn't talk much, okay, that way, but we talked this way. We wrote letters back and forth, and I could not hardly wait until I got home to see if she had written me a letter. And, and so I would run out to the mailbox, wait out there for the mailman. How come you're out here? I'm always out here. No, you're not. What are you doing? No. And so, I, I, man, when I'd get those letters, I would read them and reread them and smell the scent of emerald on the letters, the scent of Nancy. That's what she wore, the perfume that she wore back in those days. And, and, and that's a perfect illustration of God's word. God's word is a love letter to us. When you fall in love with the author of this book, oh my goodness, you can't wait to read it and reread it and take it with you. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. God's word is his delight. He says that seven times in Psalm 119. The joy of his hearts, verse 111. Positively wonderful, verse 129. That he loves exceedingly, verse uh, 167. 
professes great love for God's word five times in Psalm 119. Troubled when others forsake God's word. Uh, Three times he says that. And so how are we to feel about God's word? Desire it, delight in it, depend on it. Depend on it. Psalm 119.31, it's on your notes there. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I cling to your testimonies. Uh, One of the things we do annually, we've done this for about 10 12, probably about 15 years now, uh, in July, towards the end of July, uh, Nancy and I will head over to Oceanside, California. There's a little place there we'll hang out, hang out on the beach, and we'll bring our kids and our grandkids. And what I found really fascinating is that when the, when the little grandkids would come in there, they're, they're captivated by the ocean, but it's crazy dangerous. You know what I mean? That they want to run out to the water. And I don't know how many different times I've watched my sons kind of swoop up their little one in the nick of time just as that little one been knocked down by that first wave and here comes another wave going to grab them and take them out, out in the ocean. And when a helpless child is being swept off his feet by the undercurrent on the beach and his father sweeps him up just in time, what I found interesting is the child clings The child clings. And so there are times in my life when I feel like I'm being swept out into the sea of confusion in this world or the or when we look currently in the political confusion that's all around and all that's going on, and I come back to God's word, and it's almost as if He, he sweeps me up into his arms and holds me close, and I cling to him and find a sense of of security and stability and strength that I cannot find any place else. I depend on it. Do you depend on God's word? Man, when I feel beat up by life, when I take just one too many hits, I run to his word. I run up into his arms. Oh, daddy, I, I need you. And God speaks to me. That's, that's depending on his word. He is desperate for, for the encouragement in God's word. Verse 50 and 52 of Psalm 119. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Part of your cross references there. Deuteronomy 8.3, Matthew 4.4. Four. Do you hear what he's saying here? You can't survive just taking care of your body physically. What would happen if all you did was eat cotton candy all the time? Would you be healthy? I mean, you could probably go for a little while. How would you live if all you ever ate was McDonald's? Not good, huh? No, or any other kind of just, if you just did fast food all the time, I mean, you could probably just survive, I guess. But over time, it's going to thrash you. It's going it's to crash your life. Listen, the same thing is true spiritually. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you are desperate to hear and interact with God. You were made for this. Your soul needs to be nourished as, as much, if not more, than your body. That's why I love what uh, Job says 
Here he says in Job 23, 12, I treasure the words of his mouth more than my daily portion. In other words, he's saying, hey, I love to eat, but I love hearing from God more. Listen to me, anything you find more satisfying, more desirable, more fascinating than God, it's because your mind is being distorted and deceived by sin. That's why we need to desire it, delight in it, depend on it, because it's the very words of God to us. Anything you find more satisfying, more desirable, more fascinating than God, think about that. It's because your mind is being distorted and deceived by sin. Now, I'm gonna celebrate this, this afternoon. You guys came to the early service because you can watch the Cardinals beat up on Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, uh, and so uh, I'm gonna celebrate when they, when they win, and they win every game from this point on all the way into the Super Bowl. And I'm gonna celebrate. Good luck. But, uh, but you know what? And... and, and did you guys feel pretty down last? Anybody lose any sleep over their loss last week? Okay. Oh, there's a couple, couple people here. We'll pray for you at the end of the service. Your codependency on the, on the Cardinals. Yeah, that was pretty messed up. But hey, that's, that's life. That's the way it goes. Whatever. There's a lot of things I celebrate. There's a lot of things I enjoy. But listen, I don't celebrate them and enjoy them as much as I celebrate and enjoy my Savior and what I have in Him. That's the point. That's what we need to keep in mind. Now, what should I do with God's word? These are the actions of our life. To learn, love, and live God's word is a fight. Listen, it's a fight against our busy schedules, our distracted minds, and our stubborn hearts. But the benefits are infinitely greater than the cost. So this is what he says. Keep it diligently. That word diligently means power, force, might. You're gonna have to work at this. That's verse four. Be steadfast. That's verse five. Be steadfast in keeping it. You gotta be firm, stable, established. It needs to be a priority in your life. Guard your life according to it. That's verse nine. Protect it. So he's talking, he's using fight words. Seek it and not wander from it. That's uh, verse 10. In other words, practice it. So listen to me. An undisciplined life. Everybody look up here. You got to get this. An undisciplined life will cost you more than a disciplined life. An undisciplined life will cost you more than a disciplined life. An undisciplined life will cost you the love, the joy, the peace of our Savior. It will cost you his presence, his peace, his power, the unbelievable potential and privileges that we have in him. You won't be living in the reality of those things that he has provided for you. The most rapturous delights you have ever had in this world, think about that, are a dim glimpse of the love, joy, peace you have in Christ. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. We can have that now. Not just talking about heaven. It's talking about having a slice of heaven on earth. Psalm 63.3 says, his steadfast love is better than life. 
So to learn, love, and live God's word is a fight against busy schedules, distracted minds, stubborn hearts, but the benefits are infinitely greater than the cost. Here's the next one. I must saturate my life with God's word so that it springs to my mind, interprets my moments, and guides my choices and satisfies my soul. This is just a life saturated with God's word. This is a biblical worldview. And so what he says, he says, walk in it, that's verses one and three, keep his testimonies and seek him, verse two, I want to learn it, Verse 7, store it up in my heart. Verse 11, teach me your word. Verse 12, I will declare it so he knows it well enough that he can declare it to others. Verse 7, he wants to store it up in his heart. Verse 11, teach me your word. Verse 12, I will declare it. I will delight in it as in riches. Verse 14, I will meditate on it. Verse 15, Colossians 3.16 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Joshua 1.8, these are the folks that are heading into the promised land, and he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. How often? Day and night. And then you'll be able to do everything that is written in it, and you're going to be prosperous and successful. Let me give you some advice. Um, personal advice. You need to take time. For God's word. And you pick whatever's the best time in the day for you. You know, if in the first thing in the morning is your best time, you know, how many morning people do we have in the house? Morning people, okay, so that's your best time. I, I was told that there's only two types of people, two kinds of people in the world, morning people and those that can't stand morning people, okay? Okay, so how many, how many are like me? You're a morning person until you've got that first cup of coffee. Coffee, coffee, coffee. So morning, coffee and Jesus. Woohoo! Okay. Coffee and Jesus. There you go. Then you're ready to take on the day. So, okay, so when's, when's your best time? Morning? Okay, when's your best time? Anybody? How, how many midday people do we have? Okay, you, your best time is midday. How many would say in the evening? Okay, so there's a lot of people that didn't raise their hands, so you're not, you're kind of worthless most of the time then, huh? <laughs> Okay, so this is really a sad scenario here that we've got going on here. So I don't know what would be the best time. You just, you know, you just need to load up on God's word 24-7. You probably should be sleeping with headphones on and hearing God's word, okay, because you're desperate just to get something going here. We've got to get something rolling. So what's the best time for you? You, that's when you've got to spend. I, I, the first thing I do is I turn this on, and you need to get version. There's probably other things out there. Get version, and this is what I do. Whatever the date is, today's the 18th, and so I get the version going. So I've got a specific time. It's first thing in the morning. And by the way, average American spends 71 hours a month in front of the TV. Don't tell me you don't have enough time. If you don't have time, then you're too busy. You're probably watching too much TV, too much internet, okay? Cut some of that stuff out. This is more important. And then you need to have a plan. Many who intend to read straight through the Bible, how many have tried to strike? You start at the beginning of the year and you try to read through the Bible just like that workout program you started here this year? It lasted like a month. I don't know why you bought that uh, membership because that's... You know, they're, they're raking in the money because of people like you that don't ever show up after the first month. And so, man, he's harsh this morning. So many intend to read straight through the Bible, 
when we try to do that, we become confused in Leviticus, discouraged in Numbers, and give up completely in Deuteronomy, okay? We're just like, ah. So 15 minutes a day, you can read completely through the Bible in a year. So I'll go to you version, and like, for instance, today's the 18th, and what I'll do is I'll read one chapter in the Old Testament, one in the New. Depending on the length of the chapter, sometimes I'll, I'll catch a couple, but then I'll do one proverb, five psalms. And that'll take me completely through Proverbs and Psalms in a month. Proverbs is the mind of God. Psalms is the heart of God. I love it. And that's what I do. It goes something like this. Chapter 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes so no I'm eating my Cheerios. Only I'm getting ready for the day. I mean, I'm listening to this. And so what I do is I kind of work through that. And by the way, you can get a study plan. You need to have a plan. That's my plan. I just presented you. But if you go online, if you have a study Bible, it gives you a plan. You can go to also Discipleship Journal or Navigators and type in Discipleship Journal DJ Bible Reading Plan or Navigators Bible Reading Plan, and, and you can print that off and, and follow that. And so I read... I read for, for breadth and study for depth. So what I do is I'm listening. I'm asking God, speak to me this morning. What do you want to speak to me? And I find at least one word, phrase, or verse to meditate on and take it with me throughout the day on a three-by-five card. Because otherwise, I'm going to forget half the stuff that I just heard. But I'll take something that stands off the page and maybe even explore it a little bit deeper through a commentary or whatever and reflect on it and think about it so that it goes deep into my heart. I just take it with me. God, this is what I believe you're talking to me here this morning. And then I begin to pray it back to him. By the way, we, we've got on the growing notes, I, get, I gave you a three-step model for Bible study. It's the same kind of, very similar to what uh, Darren did last weekend on the growing notes. Start using the growing notes. My wife uses version and uses the inductive study through version. You have no excuse. There's, I mean, there's plenty of materials to study. Inductive studies, I think, are the best because they ask you questions about the text. And so start doing that. Now, I asked my brother-in-law a number of years ago, David Bazan, I said, hey, David, why do people struggle coming to church regularly and reading their Bible and praying? And he said, just really quick, just matter-of-factly, he just said, well, it's because they don't value it. I go, no, 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 no. No, they value it because they told me they value it. He goes, no, no, they don't value it. I go, no, no, no. No, they do, they do value it. They told me they value it. They said that they value coming to church and reading their Bible and praying because I've asked them. He goes, no, no, no. They don't value it. And then I start thinking, I go, yeah, you're right. Because you can say that you value something, but I can... I can tell you what you value. All I got to do is look at your practices. Because you see, the things that you value, you prioritize. The things you prioritize, you practice. Look at your practices. You can, you can deceive yourself all you want to. Yeah, I value God's word. I value prayer. I value spending time with God's people. Let me ask you this. Do you really? Look at your life. Look at what you do. So, so here, all I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not just trying to beat you up here, but what I'm saying is that really, if you're not prioritizing it, you're not going to practice it, but you're not practicing it because it's not a value. You've got to believe, first of all, that it's, it has ultimate authority, it's absolutely trustworthy, it's about Jesus, but you need to begin to work on your heart where you desire it, delight in it, and depend on it. 
You start working on your heart. Oh God, give me eyes to see how amazing your word is. That I'm desperate for it, whether I realize it or not. See, you're not only desperate for it, there's those that are desperate for God's word and know it, and then there's those that are desperate for God's word and don't know it, okay? You fit into one of those two categories. We're all desperate. We either know it or we don't know it. And when you're in touch with how desperate you are, you're gonna find your way to God's word and study it. Don't look for life lessons. Here's your last point, almost finished. Don't look for life lessons as much as you look to get a glimpse of your Savior who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. I wish I could spend more time on that. But let me just share this just real quick. The key to change, Augustine's, said this, the key to change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. It's disordered loves is what we struggle with. I nearly wrecked my marriage because of a disordered love. Let me explain that. If you love anything more than you love God, see, that's fundamentally what's wrong with all of us. We tend to love other things more than we love God. If you love anything more than you love God, you will crush it under the weight of your unrealistic expectations, and eventually it will disappoint you. It will devastate you. See, when you love anything more than you love God, you're trying to get from that, which, you know, you're trying to get, you know, happiness and hope and and meaning from it, what you should ultimately be getting from the creator. You're trying to get from creation something you should be getting from from the creator. And it's gonna drive your life, it's gonna disappoint you, and it's gonna devastate you. That's why St. Augustine also said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's about finding rest in him. When you come to God's word, it's reordering your loves. When you bring your inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression to God unfiltered, like a a morning fog, they'll burn away as the light of his presence becomes real to your heart through his word. So how do you do that? How do you apply the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you specific to where your heart is most restless? How do you do that? Well, you're gonna have to come back next week to learn, okay? I'm gonna talk about meditation because that's the next step. We're gonna talk about it, but if you want a preview and some practical application of it, come this Wednesday night to our linger night from 6.30 to eight o'clock and I'll give you a little bit of a preview and I'll walk you through that process. Let's pray. So Father God, your word is our ultimate authority, is absolutely trustworthy, is meant to redirect our wandering hearts to their true destination and most satisfying delight, our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing will transform our lives like seeing and savoring the glory of Christ in no better place to see him than your word. May we desire it, delight in it, depend on it as we fight against our busy schedules, distracted minds, and stubborn hearts. Help us to saturate our lives with it so that we begin to get greater and greater glimpses of the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.